0: Thank you, thank you. It is a special joy for us to get to be here. We've been excited to be back at Fellowship Baptist, and we have many friends here. It's really a blessing for us to get to spend a Sunday with you all. I say that sincerely. So, um, really a joy. We appreciate very much the way that you folks pray for us and remember us and partner with us in the ministry in Uganda. So excited about today. Excited about being in God's Word and. Getting to talk about Uganda a good deal to update you on what God's doing and how we can be prayerfully considering that ministry in Uganda uh, here in years ahead. So, why don't we turn in our Bibles here this morning to Matthew chapter 13? I'm excited about this Sunday school hour, excited about the fact that we have lots of, lots of young people here, and really, uh, family school is, is special um, in that we get to dive into the Word of God together. Matthew 13, this is a familiar story that is incredibly helpful to us. In both understanding how we should be as hearers of God's word, which is what we are this morning, it's what we are today as hearers of the word of God, and also extremely helpful to us as laborers in the harvest field, just getting a really biblical perspective, a right, uh, accurate biblical perspective of what's going on in the harvest field how Jesus saw it, and how we should see the harvest field. So Matthew 13, let me just read a good portion of this passage, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time here this morning as we look into his word. Matthew 13, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So we get the picture here, this big crowd of people on the shore, and Jesus didn't want to be, like, thronged by the crowd, so he got out of the crowd and got in the boat, sat down in the boat. In verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in, in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the, fow- the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was, was up, they were scorched, And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Verse 9. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. All right, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time here this morning. Father, thank you. That we can gather together freely as believers and we can encourage each other and we can be in your word lord you've given us a wealth of truth and your word to understand who we are and understand who you are help us to just um, be standing in awe of you today as we see you in scripture and see you as our lord jesus as the perfect example of, of both uh, how to be a laborer in this harvest field and, Lord, also how to hear and listen to the Word of God. Help us now this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a neat time in Jesus' ministry. Here Jesus is becoming pretty popular and has this crowd of people that have come to, to hear what Jesus has to say. They, the crowd was so intense that Jesus had to get out of the crowd and get into a boat. He sat there in the boat and looked out at this crowd of people And I like to imagine and put myself in Jesus' shoes, looking out at this crowd of people, when you're the God man, when you're Jesus, who can look right across a a congregation, look across a group, and know everyone's names, know what's going on in their hearts. We can't do that as, as, as normal men, right? I'm not doing that right now. I have no idea what's going on in anyone's heart, okay? Jesus could. He was looking at this crowd, And wanted to address them, realizing that there was a variety of hearers in this crowd. People were listening for different reasons. They had come to see Jesus for different reasons. They weren't all good reasons. And he knew, looking at this crowd of people, he knew, these people in the future are going to hear truth from my mouth. Maybe from other people's mouths. They're going to hear truth of God's word, therefore they need to know what kind of hearers they are. They need to think about this. So he speaks to them, telling them uh, to, to hear in the right way. Finishes what he says by saying, if you have ears, which you all do, let them hear. So let's think about this. Four different types of hearers that he addresses here um, that could represent some of us today. So verse 4, of what, where we just read, is where he begins the parable actually verse three he begins this parable says behold a sower went forth to sow he's talking about a farmer that went out to plant seeds and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up so first seed try to really get your mind in this if, if you think think about it with me we have four different types of places that the seed falls so stay with me on this the first seed falls by the wayside and the f- birds came and ate the seed right up. Not a good outcome at all, that's the first one. The second one, verse five, some fell among stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprang right up because they had no deepness of earth. So the first seed fell among the wayside on the hard ground it was eaten up by the birds. The second seed fell on stony ground and sprouted right up. We've seen that happen, right, where like in the parking lot or something, you'll have soil where the, where the plant sprouts right up, doesn't have any deep earth to work with. And verse six tells us what happens to that. And when the sun was up, they were scor- they were excuse me, <clears throat> they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And verse seven tells us about the third one. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. So here's a thorny situation: weeds, thorns, choked out the the uh, the the seed that was planted. And then fourth is the good one, the first positive outcome. Others fell in good soil and brought forth fruit. Some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. So, what's so great about this is that Jesus gives us a great, really down-to-earth and like, applicable for us uh, explanation of what's going on here. We would just be surmising to figure out what this meant if it weren't for that. So let's look at Jesus' explanation. We're not going to look at the verses leading up to verse 18, but look down at verse 18 where we see the full explanation of what Jesus is teaching. This is really good. Verse 18, talking to his disciples, to these followers. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth the seed by the wayside. So there are hearers in this crowd of people that he's talking to. There are hearers today, people that have heard the word of God, and the issue for these ones, according to this verse of verse 19, the issue is they do not understand. That's what it says. They understand it not, therefore the devil comes, the wicked one, is what it says here, comes and snatches away what was planted on that, on that ground. Uh, every one of these seeds, in my mind, represents some scenario in my own life, and specifically in Uganda. It's probably true of each one of us as we think of experiences we've had uh, in the harvest field in different ways. <clears throat> this one uh, brings to mind a very specific time when, this was last November, when I went on an outreach effort with uh, Swandeek Sunday. Swandeek Sunday, I was thinking about this this morning, was one of the people that we talked about last July when we were here. I'm sure many of you have prayed for Swandeek Sunday. He was born again, he turned to Christ, and then had a burden for his village of Riki. Riki is a, uh, a remote village that's known for drunkenness. It's a drunken place. And Sunday told me, he said, I'm burdened for Riki, we've gotta to go to Riki. So we put together a program, we said, let's go do this, we're going to work through like a chronological uh, teaching of the Bible that gets us from, from creation to the cross and shows people the gospel. So I got, we finally had the plan together and I went in the car with, with Sunday out to Riki and how that usually goes is your buddy will tell you, hey, you know, the road's not bad and it's not that far. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll have to trust you on this, I've not been out there. So we start going down the road, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And we go on and on and on. And he kept saying, we're close. We're getting really close. And we just kept going and going and going. That's how that always turns out. But anyway, we finally did make it there. And we met with many men that he knew there in that village and said, hey, we want to have this program of, of teaching. And one of his Sunday's uncles lived there, had some nice big mango trees, and said, yeah, you can do this program, this gospel teaching program under these trees. We said, great. Then one of the church leaders, it was actually in this case Anglican church leaders, came to us and said, hey, um, in order to do this program here, you need to get permission, sign permission from the Anglican bishop of this district in order to teach here. Um, So that was what he had to say. Uh, We didn't necessarily respond, but we went our way. And Sunday was so surprised. He said, are we going to do that? Are we going to go get permission from the Anglican bishop to do this program? I didn't I didn't realize we had to. And I, I told him, I was like, well, I mean, there's a mosque here too. Should we make sure the imam is okay with it in the mosque? And there's a Catholic church. Should we check with the Catholic priest to make sure he's okay with it? So I told him, I don't think that's not the right thing for us. I asked a couple of people their advice, and they said, don't get the, Catholic, the Anglican bishop's permission. Just, Just go. It's a free country to... to to teach the Bible in. Um, So we went back the second time, and we are met by the entire group of Anglican church leadership, and they said, you are not allowed to have any type of ministry here without the Anglican bishop's permission. And we've informed the entire village that they should not come to your program. So we were shocked. We were so surprised by that, and and decided to instead uh, take a massive box of Lubara gospel tracts, and distributed them to the entire village and see what God would do. That door was shut. It really was. We, could not have, we did not have a good way forward. No one was welcoming us to their home as a person of peace. We hoped to go back there again, but hard ground. It was hard. They were not opening the door for the gospel in any way. So if you pray for the village of Riki, we will go there again. Um, the gospel does uh, break through such barriers. But this was hard ground. And those seeds that were planted were in some way snatched away by the devil, really by like the stronghold of religion that was there. So this is a situation that Jesus saw right in the eyes of people. He, he told them, uh, the sower planted some seed by the wayside. It fell on hard ground and the devil snatched it away. And we have the rest of the story in Jesus' ministry and know that a lot of the people that follow Jesus, these crowds, that followed him, they did fall away. They, they weren't lasting fruit. So this was true of his time. It's true today. So we get a biblical perspective of how to, how to see this. And then let's look at the, the next explanation of this seed. But uh, let's see, where would we be? Verse 21. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 20. Verse 20, okay. But he that received the seed in stony places, the same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation and persecution persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. This talks about people that are very ready to, yeah, we'll take it. But there's obviously some understanding lacking It's not a genuine type of fruit because then things happen in their life and causes them to quickly fall away. So it's not lasting fruit. This is also very typical of Uganda. Uh, About 100 years ago, right right actually at 100 years ago, uh, Christianity, and I say that kind of in in a loose way, went to East Africa. The Catholic Church, they call themselves Christianity, and also the Anglican Church, and in a one generation's time, uh, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, Rwanda, those East African countries became Christian nations. Just absorbed Christianity. They were animistic. They worshiped things like uh, various spirits and the sun and trees and all sorts of things. And animism is a great fit for like prosperity, theology, like. Do these things and God will bless you. Anyway, all that to say, they quickly welcomed and became Catholics and became Anglicans, yet kept animism and kept worshiping and these other things at the same time. The witch doctors went nowhere, they stayed in place and somehow complimented Catholicism. Really strange. The fact is, it was false fruit. It was the type of thing where people quickly received it with joy, but it did not result in some transformed lives. It did not result in lasting real fruit, and certainly did not result in a multiplication of believers like is described in this parable. So then, third, 20, verse twenty-one, verse twenty-two. I'm sorry, can't keep my verses straight. It's verse twenty-two. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, this is just my thought about this. Um, we can think about it for ourselves and consider who this would, des- this would describe. Maybe this, at times, describes us at various times in our lives, even as Christians, when we hear the word of God and the deceitfulness of the world somehow blinds us to the word of God. But this, in my mind, describes so much America. America. America's very good at throwing at you the deceitfulness of riches, right? Like all the time in every way. The deceitfulness and the the pleasure that the world can offer um, by way of just material things and pleasure. The deceitfulness of riches, and and it chokes out the word. So someone could hear the word, um, legitimately hear it, yet then have that truth choked out by other worldly desires. That's the word that fell among thorns. And then last... The first good result is twenty, verse 23, but he that receives the seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also beareth fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Finally, something really positive and the example of this parable as he's talking to this crowd. As seeds fall among good ground and there was one major reason why. There's one reason given as to why This seed produced something really good. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it. Truly understood what he heard. That's the difference. Notice how previously in verse 19, uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one. That's a major, major comparison between someone who does not understand the Word of God and someone who does understand the word, understand the Word of God. This parable, think about this, really is written primarily for hearers. He's writing to, he's, he's speaking to this crowd, um, who are hearers, encouraging them to be the right kind of hearer. And for us today, for us as people who sit under the Word of God, who are in a church that teaches, very well the word of God we need to ask ourselves week in week out all the time how am I hearing the word of God what kind of soil am I today am I allowing any of these false soil types to to represent myself that can happen and we want to seek the Lord to to soften our hearts and be good soil that's a great lesson What's also helpful for us is to look at this, um, to look at this parable, and learn from it lessons uh, as far as our life as laborers. So we don't only really learn from this as hearers, but we also learn from this in the way that we are our laborers. Let me let me make a couple of observations, just really simple observations that we as laborers—that's what we are—we're people that have the gospel, live in a place where there's a lot of people that don't have the gospel. As laborers in the harvest field, we can learn from this parable by realizing that most of the ground is not soil, which is ready to produce good fruit. That's just a reality. That is pictured here in this parable, and it's very, very biblical. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says this, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. The Bible's telling us there, there's no one who just understands the word of God. Um, that's one verse. Another verse is Romans 3, verses 17. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is talking about the lost world. Which is, that's a problem, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They don't have any fear in their eyes. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. This world is lost. A lot of the world around us is not good soil. So that's just one simple observation. Another is, is this, the ground has to be good in order for there to be any lasting fruit and multiplication of believers. So you might be thinking, wow, Brother Joe, this is not very optimistic, right? You're saying most of the ground isn't good. You're saying for there to be any real lasting fruit, the ground has to be good. So that's sort of a pessimistic, downy downer way to look at this, right? But there is very, very good news Jesus looked at this crowd, seeing their hearts, knowing this was true. We can look at this parable, understanding that it's true. The ground needs to be softened. In order for there to be any lasting fruit, the ground needs to become good. So how does that happen? Right? We're laborers. How do we see this ground become soft? Well, the Bible talks about this concept of hard ground of unprepared ground in a number of places. Jeremiah chapter four, verse three, think about this verse. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. This is a different place, a different context and things, but nonetheless, it's God talking to his people saying, break up your fallow ground, and don't sow seeds among thorns. They had a heart problem, And he's saying, break up your ground, it's hard. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your follow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. Another place, another context, where once again, God is saying, or or, or the prophet, rather, is saying, break up your follow ground, it's time to seek after God. Break up this hardened ground. We are to labor, we are to strive together and work diligently in the harvest field, and that does not look like just dropping seeds very easily and very simply. It's hard work. Um, I am not a farmer, I am not at all in any way, but it's enjoyable to, uh, it's interesting to observe and see the way people farm. Uh, From what I understand, the most laborious part of farming is preparing the ground. So in Uganda, it's, it's neat to watch the people in Uganda, dry season comes in like December, January, and it'll go generally two or three months without any rain at all, that's just every year. They have that drought of dry season, and during that time, they will um, they'll not be planting or even harvesting very much, but what they will be doing is preparing the ground. And they'll go out with their hose and break up the ground um, by just like, with our hose and tilling it essentially so that it's ready to receive the rain when dry season's finished. So you see these, these garden plots that are just very rough. They're so rough you can just barely walk through them. These chunks of dirt pulled out of the ground and turned over so that when the rain comes it essentially enters the ground as opposed to hitting the hard ground and bouncing off. They prepare the ground. If they don't do that, then their crops completely fail. That's what I've been told. They really need to prepare the ground right if people are lazy during that season of preparation, um, they're going to have a serious problem. They prepare the ground in that way. Uh, when I was, <clears throat> I think, 14 years old, <clears throat> my family lived temporarily right in front of the Vanderwerfs. So Mr. Vanderwerf, I'm going to tell a brief story about you. I did not ask your permission. So <clears throat> um, they graciously allowed us to till up part of their yard to plant a garden, and I was really excited about planting this garden for some reason. and. Uh, I went out with a shovel and this plot was like 30 feet across that we had planned for the garden. And I went out with a shovel and started to till the ground to prepare for this garden. And one shovel load at a time like turned the ground over all the way across this 30 foot stretch. And I went across 30 feet and then back across. This really sticks out in my mind for some reason, it was terrible. And then back across the second time. And I was done. I was like, this is brutal. And then I turned around and we'd made it 100 feet long. And I was like one foot in. So it was like 1%. A lot of work. So then the next day I went and did a little more, like another foot. And I thought, I don't know what's gonna happen with this. So then Mr. Vanderwerf saw what was going on and brought his tractor with his plow. And I was very thankful for that. So I realized what was involved in preparing the ground for planting, right? The planting itself was pretty simple. didn't have a problem with that, but preparing the ground was something else. Um, there in Palestine, they would usually till up the ground before planting. So the people that Jesus was talking to were farmers that would till up the ground before planting, then plant the seed. And oftentimes, from what I've read some about this, is they would then um, till the ground again, like turn the ground again, in order to, to bury the seed. So they till the ground both before uh, and after the planting. So as laborers who are realizing like Jesus did that a lot of the ground around us is hard, as people who have experienced personally hard ground, right? People that we've tried to share the gospel with that just really aren't interested or people who would joyfully receive what we have for them but then just fade away who've experienced these things, we need to be able to process those things in a a Bible-based way. And the Word of God has great answers for us. How can we How can we prepare the ground of people's hearts? When there's people that are lost around us who are hard to the gospel, or fruit that doesn't last, how can we prepare the ground? And in a, in a phrase, um, Romans 10:17, "So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In our parable, the seed is the word of God. But the word of God is also the very thing that prepares the ground of people's hearts, that prepares people for, um, for this planting, that prepares people for the gospel being given to them. I, I love this verse, Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like, a, like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a an hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The seed that's planted is the word of God. The power that we have in our hands to prepare the ground of people's hearts is the word of God. The work of watering is done by way of the word of God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing the sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the discerner of the thoughts intent, and intents of, of an unprepared heart, a heart that is hardened to the gospel, that is not prepared soil. Let me take just a few minutes with the, with the time we have here and look at a couple of times in Jesus' ministry. Our Lord Jesus sets such a great example of someone who um, was, in the har- was, was laboring in the harvest field and, and worked the ground at times uh, minister to people, to lost people um, in a way that was like preparation steps of uh, preparing the ground for what would, we, we hope, ultimately cause them to turn to Christ. One of the most interesting, in my mind, is a time in... in um, <clears throat> let me look at Matthew... Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, we'll just turn over there. The rich young ruler... This man was very religious. Uh, this was a, a, a man that came to Jesus while, during his earthly ministry, right? Matthew 19, verses, verse 16. On the wrong page, my bad. Verse 16. Um, and behold, one came and said unto him, Matthew 19, 16, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God, but if that will enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, so this religious man comes and says, "I want to. What good thing can I do to have eternal life?" Not the worst question ever. I, I would be very happy to have someone come to me and ask that question. Hey, hey, what do I need to do to have eternal life? I would enjoy being able to answer that question. Um, Jesus' answer is so interesting. Um, honest, to be honest with you, this confused me for a long time. Okay, verse 17 is where Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. What's Jesus saying? Keep the commandments. That's not the right answer, right? We understand it is. This is Jesus talking. But again, Jesus knew what was going on in this man's heart. Let's keep going. Verse 18. He saith unto him, which... So, this man responds and says, Keep the commandments, okay? Which ones? Realize this man was arrogant. He's saying, Yeah, keep the commandments, you name it. So, pretty bold thing to say. Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus goes through the Ten Commandments through the Word of God and names five of the Ten Commandments that were like commandments related to horizontal relationships in in your life. It says, if you keep all these. And the young man said unto him, all these I have done. Again, to be able to actually look at that and say, yep, check, 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 check. I've done all those. Um, Jesus saw this man's heart already. If you and I were in this situation, we could very easily see his heart as well, at least to the extent of realizing that he thinks he's going to earn salvation. He actually thinks he's kept the law of God. That's where this guy is at. The the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give unto the poor that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So the man says, yeah, I've done all these things. I've kept the law perfectly. And then Jesus says, if you, if you want to be perfect, here's what you have to do. Sell everything you have, and follow me with your life. When the young man heard this, he realized, it's too much. I can't do that. He was someone who really valued his wealth. He was materialistic in some way, this, this arrogant man, and and he realized he couldn't do it. To look at this and think, Jesus, why didn't you tell him the truth? He never told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father but by me. He never told him, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. He never told him the rest of the story. So you look at that and think, why not? Well, let me suggest, just thinking about this, this man was not ready for that this man thought he was going to earn salvation. He really thought he'd kept all the commandments. His his understanding of what sin was was really off. His understanding of the holiness of God was, was just not there to have actually thought that. So Jesus lets this man walk away sorrowful, realizing that until he is actually able to understand the fact that I'm just not willing to give everything that I have and follow Christ, until he's to that place, he's not going to be ready to turn to Christ. Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, as an example for us, set this, set this pattern. As we labor in the harvest field, we will run into people that are not prepared soil, that are not good soil, ready, for the, ready to receive the word of God and be lasting fruit. Like Jesus, we should embrace the opportunity to share with them the word of God right where they're at. Help them to see something that they don't understand. Help them to see that, yeah, you're, you're a Catholic person and you think that you are earning the mercy of God. Well, let me just tell you this about God and how holy and, and, and absolutely just he is. He can't accept someone. You can show someone the law of God and show them that this is high and lofty. It's beyond us. We cannot keep this completely. And in that way, labor In the harvest fields. There was one other time, let me mention this, there was another time where Jesus was sitting in the house of publicans and sinners, and um, Matthew chapter 9, that's where I was thinking before, my mistake, Matthew chapter 9, look at this quickly, verse 10, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat and meet in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, They they said unto his disciples, Why eatest your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician. Think about Jesus' words. They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here Jesus is sitting eating. Pharisees come, and the the Pharisees are calling him out, saying, why are you eating here with these publicans and these sinners? He saw that they were very self-righteous. That's something you and I could have easily observed as well. These men are self-righteous. They think they're up here, and uh, these publicans and sinners are way down here. Um, Jesus told them, um, those that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick, go and learn what that means. And then quote scripture to them, and says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was quoting from a verse in Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, I desired mercy and not sacrifice in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He realized these were re- religious, religious men that wanted to earn God's, uh, the mercy of God. They wanted to uh, be righteous instead of, uh, instead of be the recipients of the mercy of God. And he sent these Pharisees away, again, not giving them the full gospel, but told them, go away and learn what that means. Until you do, you're not going to be ready for the gospel. Some plant, some water, and some reap. God gives the increase. This is a biblical perspective of what happens in the harvest field. We see Jesus doing this. Think of John the Baptist a man who went before Jesus and prepared the way, told these religious people, called them, called them snakes, and said, God doesn't require sacrifices. You need to realize that in order to prepare the way for the Lord. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch where Philip went to him and found him studying the word of God. He'd had the word of God for some time and was studying it and was learning, was preparing the soil of his heart. And then Philip, as a teacher, was able to then essentially... Plant the seed into that good ground that God had already been preparing through the Word of God, maybe through some other teacher that had already made, that had given him that Scripture or something. I, I'm just kind of imagining what may have been the progression in his life. But none, regardless, the point being, he received the Bible and had time to be prepared. It didn't happen overnight. This is what happens uh, in the harvest field. Let me with one of the last passages to look at here is John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus tells his disciples. He says, He that reapeth receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. Think about that. If you reap, you have wages. There we go. I saw a person saved, saw someone added to the church. When he says... Um, he that sows and he that reaps rejoices together and herein is this saying true one sows and another reaps I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor other men labored and ye are entered into their labors God works in this way 1 Corinthians 3 is where we read about um, Paul saying I planted Apollos watered God gave the increase this is the way God works Let's embrace our role in this. Realizing that God uses us, uses us in lost people's lives to labor, to strive together, to prepare the soil of their hearts. In some cases, to water. And in some cases, to, to give the seed that will indeed like sprout up and result um, in lasting fruit. There was a, a time when I, I sat with a Muslim man and I'd met him for the first time This was last year, and um, he, I'm trying to remember exactly how this story went. I I sat and had tea with him, and he said, oh, do you know this guy named John? He's from England. (laughs) It's really random. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't know who that is. And he said, well, he just passed through, and he had a Bible, and he's like, "I, I refused him. That's what this Muslim man was telling me. He said, I refused him. But he told me some verses that made me have some questions. So I'm glad you're now here. You can help answer my questions. I was like, where was that guy from? And he said, said, he's from from England. I was like, where is he now? He said, he said he was returning to England. I think he was someone that was just there very temporarily. And I thought to myself, is that not how God works? That man, I'll, I'll never meet him, I really have no clue who he is, was refused, rejected by that Muslim man. He went on his way, he went back to England, and we'll probably never meet that Muslim man again. But then, the Holy Spirit led me, just in the normal course of life, to then meet this man, and I got to sit down and have a a pretty good Bible study with him. He didn't turn to Christ, but I got to be part, in some little way, of what God was doing in this man's life. He wasn't ready good soil that was just going to produce uh, fruit that would last and would multiply. But, as laborers, we can can work in the harvest field and see God work in that way. So, what do we take away from this? Let me just just finish with this. Um, First of all, to have a a very biblical worldview of of the fact that people in this world are not presently, all the time, good ground. There's hard hearts out there. We can understand that. Jesus knew that. He spoke to many people that were that way. But for us to realize that we hold in our hands the word of God... It breaks up the fall ground. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock. And we show people the truth about our great and holy God, who also has mercy, extends mercy to all men. So they see that. Our sin and how terrible it is. The law and how unattainable it is. These, these truths, we can prepare the ground of people's hearts so that maybe someday we would see them turn to Christ or someone else would see them turn to Christ that's a task that we can wholeheartedly commit ourselves to, realizing that truly is how God works through the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God. The Word of God does the planting. The Word of God does the cultivating of the ground. The Word of God waters the ground. Um, You think of Psalm 19, converteth the soul, makes one wise. Makes wise the simple. The Word of God has such great truth. So I'll finish there. Um, That's challenged me, I hope that is uh, meaningful, as we've seen some of what Jesus teaches about this matter of laboring in the harvest field. I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you. Uh, You are uh, such a great teacher, and example. Lord, as as our God, um, we need to be like you. I pray for us. I pray that we would uh, be this way. Lord, help us to have such faith in your word that we embrace the opportunity to speak it here in church, uh, in our homes, with our families, Our children and in the lost world that we live among. Help us, Lord, and give us faith in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.